0: So here's kind of the outline just kind of prepping you guys what what to expect for today we're going to go look at a trade we've been focused mostly on the gold market as you guys know but i'm really showing you this because if you're a market pulse member or if you're someone who's using green charts or charting software uh this is like how to build and continue to follow a certain a certain market or stock or entity or currency Uh, As we go week to week, and you can see just me checking in once a week with you, how you can constantly use these tools to stay updated and become really an expert in like something you're investing in. And the reason I bring that up is this is a format style. uh, I don't know what else we would call that a principle in trading that when you trade, you trade very uh, sniper approach, right? It's not a shotgun approach when you go out and trade unless you just want to give money to the markets. And so this very narrow, uh specific sniper approach when it comes to trading, really the takeaway is pick something, don't pick everything. And when you pick something, go deep and know it better than anyone else. And that edge alone will will typically give you positive results in the market because you know more about it than most of the people that are even in it and often dancing with it, trading with it occasionally or buying or selling it based on some news that they heard. And that really gives you the advantage to know the the major difference. So we're going to go over that. We're going to go into some psychology. So I'm adding a new piece to this, which I think is, I was actually to give you guys some back history, what's going on. Um, I went and saw my coach. So I do do personal coaching. Uh, I take on professional clients uh, every year. And one of the things that uh, I do to stay in integrity with my own coaching that I provide others is I go get coaching. And so just full disclosure, I have my own coach. It's Jay Abraham. Uh, You guys can look him up. He was business entrepreneur of the year, Uh, According to Forbes magazine, he's got over 12 books. He works closely with Tony Robbins and we were down at his office, Kevin, my business partner and I were down at his office uh, in California, down in LA, uh, near Hollywood. And something happened where we were in a conversation. I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm forget. I I left probably the most valuable asset I could give people out of my training, out of my conversation, and so I'm bringing that back. A lot of you don't know that I have a lot of training, uh, both certifiable, I guess you could say, or like courses and things that I've gone to that have given me this accreditation, but also just experience and really diving deep into this. And so, I actually, I have a book that is primarily about uh, the psychology of like success, and it's coming out April 9th. I've been working on it for over two years. I worked with a lot of the team members from the Franklin Covey team. I've got some incredible endorsements, uh, and we're working on some fine-tuning right now, but that book is going to be coming out. We think the title is going to be called Blinded by Your Strengths, and we're going to, each time we meet, I'm going to take a little segment of this training to really get into your head because uh, beliefs and your way that your mind works manifests how your life shows up. Specifically with money. In fact, you should see I've got some really cool uh, affirmations and things that help you know uh, cultivate a positive money mindset. But if you're not uh, even aware that like this is something that largely contributes to how your financial situation shows up, then you're not doing anything about it. You know, conceptually you can be reading books, uh, et cetera, et cetera, but. I really saw after meeting with Jay and getting some coaching with him. It's like, Matt, this is your greatest asset that you actually provide. Sure, you can show tools. Sure, you can show like how to make trades, how to how to do the technicals. I've definitely got my ten thousand hours when it comes to trading and like how to do things like this. However, if you don't get your mindset and your mind right, it just doesn't matter. You can have a shovel. But if you're just not motivated to dig with it, then, you know, what's the point, right? So we're going to do that. Then we're going to go into some news. I have some just jaw-dropping news, jaw-dropping. And it actually has to do with that conversation I was having with my friends where they were talking about bank deposits leaving and this whole thing with Jamie Dimon issuing a warning to banks that they've got to incentivize people to keep money. This is worse, this is new. It just came out this week. And so we're going to do that. And then we're going to go back if we have some time. And I'm going to look at our charts again uh, and kind of piece together like what a trade would look like uh, specifically in the gold market right now. Because that's, that's one of the ones I like. And we're using it kind of as an example. So let's go into the trade. First and foremost, I think it would be valuable to pull up. And I'm just going to share my screen really quick. Pull this up. I'm gonna show yesterday, or excuse me, last uh, Friday's example. And then from this example, we're gonna go into the charts today. So this is where we were last Friday, right? We got our support and resistance lines in, we kind of graded them a little bit. I changed some colors to make them more relevant based on support resistant prices. And then we got some non-linear support and resistance using some channels. And this is what we saw last week. Now bring it fast forward, to today. And by the way, I don't know, I've got to get into the news today, I've been busy kind of putting this together, but something happened in gold, literally, right before we got on. So pull this up with me, and you guys will see gold is being uh, there's a lot of volume going into gold. And where the price has gone, actually, it makes perfect in my mind, it makes perfect sense. And it should to you also by the time we do this enough, you should be able to predict with pretty strong accuracy where the market's going to be going based on really strong technicals. And you should be able to say like, I know where it's going to go. I know where it's not gonna go. I, I can kind of tell where the probability lies uh, and so forth. So let's let's bring up my charts really quick. Test, test, Yeah, you guys can hear me. And we'll go from there. So here is, uh, where we are today. And you can kind of see, we can bring this up a little bit. See if I can zoom this, there we go. And you can kind of see the difference, right? We were way back in here. in fact, let me, I'm just gonna kind of glance at it with my computer. Okay, we were right here. So we were right in this spot right here. And then later, Following that, it came down and then back up. And so you can see right in this area where this red candle is. Let me see if I can draw something on here. I'll just put a vertical line on it. This is where we were last Friday. We drew these lines in. If you guys remember, we kind of put some circles up here. We said, you know, uh, the top section of this parallel line, if there was a breakout, this is where it would kind of go to and then hit that next support or resistance. And then below that kind of line going up this way, we said, you know, the price could come out here. Guess what? we never had a breakout. And and in fact, yesterday we had this hammer, which is a candlestick pattern for a retracement. And guess where the price went? It stayed in this massive channel. And and we're just kind of floating right in the center of 1967 and uh, 1882. And we have this just pressure mounting And the bad news is we haven't had a breakout yet, so we haven't had a strong signal for a trade. The good news is the pressure is mounting. And I don't know what happened today. I could get into the announcements, but something has caused the market to run up significantly today, Friday. I would imagine, based on the time, that it's not going to move much more after this. However, what's unique about this is with very strong predictability. If I had woken up this morning and the price was here on this previous candle, let's just zoom in a little bit. But if the price had been right here on this previous candle, the current candle, if I were just to flip a coin and go, hey, Matt, if not looking at any data, not looking at any news, any announcements, what do you think would happen to the price today? I would have looked at where the price was and I said, it's very likely that it's going to, one, stay within the support resistance levels that we drew, and two, that it's probably going to want to stay in this wedge until it can't, until there's just so much volume and volatility that it breaks out. And sure enough, we had a massive run-up this morning, huge, uh, I mean, for the amount of time it took, a huge movement in the bullish direction in gold. And so, I mean, you could have made a little scalp trade I guess you could have made a little uh trade on this buying it uh to the upside you know if you were doing some short positions I'm more of a long-term uh trader when it comes to this and so I'm really waiting for this breakout you guys already know my position I'm looking for uh, a bullish movement and it's likely Monday Tuesday I mean you can kind of even count the days guys like how many more days can this stay in the wedge one two three, four, maybe, maybe, and every day that goes by, the likelihood of it staying in this wedge diminishes, right? I mean, this is just, it makes common sense. You can't can't force something closer and closer to the end and have all this pressure and eventually not have it break whatever the funnel is, whatever the cone is, whatever, in this case, this wedge is. And so with mounting pressure, At some point, there's going to be a breakout. And then when it happens, it's going to be to the upside towards 1967, the downside towards 1882. And when that happens, you want to be in the right position on this. You're going to want to be, if it breaks into the upside, you're going to want to be on the upside. If it breaks into the downside, you want to be on the downside. Now, because we're in this channel, there is a likelihood and there is short-term pressure to have this break down towards this section. However, what is stronger? Is it stronger to have this go down or is it stronger to go up based on our our non-linear support resistance? Well, because of how long this has been going up and how long we've been in this channel based on this price and the low, there's more pressure for this to go up than it is for it to go down. Why? Because this is a longer term trend. This is a shorter term trend. And if you look at, I pulled up earlier, uh, some moving averages on this. But if you look at a moving average, we're just going to do, ugh, I do not like it like this, but let me bring this down. There we go. This is a 50 day, and then I'm gonna put a I'm gonna put a 30 day. I like a 50 and a 30 together. So we're gonna put a 50 and a 30 moving average on this. I'm just gonna type this out. Make it. I don't know. Let's make it blue. Then um, let's bring that chart down. Also, there we go. But if you look at the moving averages on this also. You can see that the uh, 30-day is still low, it's still down, still sell, and so is the 50. The 50 actually has kind of come off and gone flat, so it is transitioning, but the short-term moving average is still more bearish than bullish. So from just those two moving averages, you're, you're clearly getting a picture that this is, it's not set up yet for a massive bull run at least from a technical standpoint. There could be some news about the dollar or something that's going on globally that makes you know oil prices go through the, or gold prices go through the roof, like oil prices going up. And if oil prices go up, you can count on gold prices going up because they're a tied commodity. It takes oil to get gold out of the ground. And so it forces the price to go up if it costs more to get it out. And so you're, you're just gonna see these correlations, right? oil prices start dropping drastically, you might see gold prices drop also unless we start going into a recession. So there's all these little data points. But from a technical standpoint, we're just waiting. We're waiting for it to break the wedge. We'll keep tracking this. I'll take a picture of this today. And then Monday, uh, I won't get to see you, but next Friday, we'll see how many days goes by. And guys, it's going to happen next week. This breakout will happen next week. And then The small potential is to 1967 or 1882. So there's going to be a trade there. When that happens, let me show you what to do with this. Just so that everyone's clear. When that happens, you are going to want to put your trade wherever that breakout occurs. And then you're going to want to put your stops outside of these levels. Now, hopefully, I'm going to be more bias to the buy side than the sell side, just because I'm okay holding this for a long period of time. Obviously, if you're using leverage, you're going to want to maybe change your position a little bit. But uh, if you're just buying it, right, actually going out and buying gold or holding it through like Monex or some exchange like that with no leverage, I'm, I'm very bullish. And if you are going to use some leverage, just don't use very much if you're going to have this bias towards the bulls. But we, let's say it's a buy, if it's a buy, I'm going to set my target inside of this range. I mean, I want my exit to be below 1960, 1967. And that's going to put us at like, I don't know, I'd probably want to be at like 1959 on my exit. And then I'd set my stop below 1876, below this uh, support level. Now, if it's a sell, we go the opposite way put my exit uh, somewhere here, like 1892. And then I put my stop loss outside. So it's just, it's really simple. You put your targets inside of support and resistance, you put your stop losses outside. Why? Because you got to let this thing breathe a little bit, right? If it happens to go outside of that support resistance, you got to l- give it a little bit of room to kind of settle out before that pressure pushes it back up. And the same thing with your target, you don't want to have your target right outside of the support resistance level, because that's going to largely diminish the likelihood of you getting out of your trade. You want to be inside of the support resistance. So just basic one-on-one stuff guys, but here's kind of your uh, setup for gold. Let me take a picture of this really quick. Mm -hmm. Oh, what did I just do? There we go. So I'm just going to take a quick snapshot. Ah, let me get rid of this. There we go. Last time I did this, there was that image in the way. I kind of want to get rid of that. So here's that. Uh, there we go. All right. And we can move on to what's next. So moving on to what is next, I want to bring this up. So we're gonna talk a little bit about psychology and I'm trying to think how much I wanna go into this. We're just gonna talk about me. We'll talk about me and then I'll give you one illustration that I think you'll enjoy uh, that will contribute to a a meaningful conversation around your trading, your finances and like how money occurs for you and works for you or doesn't uh, in your life. So just to give you some back history, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for years. I I got out of the taking a paycheck uh, idea right after my, my marriage uh, with Nicole. And that was in 2000. Gosh, what was that? 2004. And so over 15 years ago, I decided I was uh, in college. I was in my second year, uh, just getting through year two as a as a, uh, college student, I was working at an insurance place. So I was selling insurance, uh, just to get, you know, the bills paid, get me through school. And something hit me where I was at an, I was in an econ class and my economic teacher, believe it or not, I, I had no idea I'd be intrigued, like how this all happened. Uh, it was a combination of taking the right saying yes to the right opportunities at the right time. Right. It was a lot of it was timing and being open to that. But what happened is I was in an econ class and this was my second year. I think I did micro and then macro economics and my teacher was the same teacher from the previous year. And I remember him saying, cause I was interested in the markets, but I, you know, I had no idea how to trade. I had no idea what any of this looked like. I would, had my parents had no background. My dad was a, uh, you know, freight truck sales guy, my mom was a stay at home mom. And so I had no financial literacy. And that was nothing. In fact, if anything, we avoided those conversations in the home. It wasn't something that we even talked about. It was like, we didn't talk about it because it was triggering. You know, I lived in a very, uh, a very conservative financially uh, environment. I would even say that there was food scarcity often at the house. And it Money was a, a painful topic and it. I would watch my mom and dad, you know, argue about these things. And it was probably something that uh, triggered me enough to kind of make up in my own mind. I was never going to do that. Like I was going to whatever I had to do to figure this out. I was going to make sure that my kids didn't have to deal with that growing up. And so call it whatever you want. But there was something psychological going on there that motivated good or bad pressure. Don't know. But it got me to where I'm at. And so anyways, I'm in this, you know, you step forward a couple of years later, I'm in college, this macroeconomic teacher is talking to me and he says this thing that at the time I just took at face value. And I was like, well, that might, that must be true. And he said, you just can't make money day trading. He said, it's not possible. And I took it at face value. and, And today, you know, obviously I'd love to go back to him, not to put it in his face, but maybe to maybe give his students a clearer edge. But it's like, that is just not true, right? To say anything that is that absolute is actually not true. But my brain wasn't geared that way. And I took authority figures, authority uh, personnel that were supposedly educated in these type of things and believed them. And that in and of itself was a problem, right? Not being able to challenge authority or, or even to see like, why would they have a bias possibly? Or why would they have... Uh, cognitive, yeah, really a cognitive bias towards this. And it's probably likely that he tried day trading and it didn't work for him. And so now his MO is like day trading doesn't work for anyone. And I'm doing everyone a service by telling him that, right? Who knows? But anyways, fast forward to today. uh, After that, something clicked and I dropped out of college. And if you get to know me, you'll learn that I, you know, I think college has a place. I think formal education has a place. Uh, But I will say that, since i went to college to today the value of a college degree has diminished largely and the skill set in fact i don't even sure if you have a college degree great but unless you went to mit harvard or yale i'm really i don't care about it i want to know what you've done i want to know uh how you handle things and are you someone that gets shit done i mean that's really one of the the greatest things i look for in an employee and in about three months you can tell right so Colleges changed a lot of things. And like China, the U.S. has filled the country with degrees. And the value of that degree is largely diminished. And trade, trade right now is making more than most college degrees, which wasn't true when I was going to high school. They had all these charts. And they're like, well, if you go to school, the average person that gets a college degree makes X, Y, Z more than someone who doesn't. And what they didn't show and what the, the data is showing more now skewed is that trades, like if you get a certificate, not a college degree, but a certificate, who's making more? And those numbers are changing radically right now. Like if you're a plumber, if you go get a certificate to be a plumber, if you go get a certificate or you don't even need a certificate, if you're like laying floors, you're a contractor, whatever, uh, those guys are making way more money than the people that went to school. And the people that live in like, Even my neighborhood, I would say, you know, I've got a lot of doctors and contractors, et cetera. The difference between the people who got the degrees and the guys who are the contract licensors is the ones they both own boats, but guess who gets to enjoy them? Right? The doctor is just swamped. He never has time to enjoy the things he has, or the people with not certifiable university certificates actually are just they're just drowned in time, right? They're just they're tied to this uh, concept of how to work. So, anyways. All of these things have contributed uh, to how I think about things. And it was just after I got married, uh, I started getting into trading. My business partner and I had about 30 cell phone stores from Chicago to Hilo, Hawaii. We got out of that business in 2008 after the last crash and uh, started day trading. In fact, my partner's dad had developed some indicators and got me interested based on his stuff that he had done and his strategy. And so I got interested, like here's my way to learn how to get into the financial markets. And while I was doing that, I got introduced to another group and I was running, I'm starting another business in something called cogeneration, which is a green, uh, it, it's kind of a green product you could say for energy, where what we were doing is we were going to meat processing plants like JBS, Pilgrim Pride, and we were going to these places and we we're creating contracts For us to kind of clean up their energy, take their heat that they were using to clean all their meat and find a better way to get on that heat source while also giving them a cheaper uh, energy cost. And there was this incentive, this federal incentive called PERPA, where we could push a federally mandated rate to sell the energy back to the local uh, municipal. Anyways, we got all these contracts. Uh, We're about to go public. We're about to sell our shares in this company to a publicly traded company and my partners invite me to go to lunch and it went something like this and this is like the first chapter of my book I've decided as we do this I'm going to actually take this chapter by chapter and kind of give you the nugget of what's in my book and why I wrote it this way but basically This it sounded something like this is Matt you know we really like you, but we just can't figure out how to fit you into this business. And I'm sitting there like, what? What? Like, fit me in. I've been in this whole time. I've got, I even have business cards. Like, I've been on these trips with you. I've been connecting the dots and like helping form this whole thing. What, what is going on? And clearly the two... You know, call it greed, call it whatever you want. This was just coming out of the recession also. You know, I don't understand completely what was going on in their lives. But at that time, my story was, these guys are cutting me out of the largest deal that I've ever put together in my life. Probably one to one and a half million dollars cash money that I could have had in about a three month period of time. And now they're telling me that they're cutting me out. And I didn't take it very well, right? I got pissed. I cut my friend off. You know, this was a, one of my best friends that I was doing business with. I cut off, you know, this other partner. I won't mention names. And I felt like I got screwed. And I got an attorney. I had records of every email that they had ever sent back and forth between customers, between themselves. I knew the negotiations that were happening uh, with this publicly traded company. And it, you know, I managed all the IT, and they just had no idea that like all these emails sit in a corporate thing, and I had access to. I mean, they just had no concept. And so I got my I, an attorney. He was going to take this whole thing on pro bono. He's like, "Oh, this is easy, Matt. You're going to win this thing completely. You know, we'll get some money out of it. I'll get a percentage of that. Blah blah blah." And it just occupied my space, my time, and my mind to a degree that the business that I had with my other partner doing trading teaching people how to trade be more financially responsible uh was not going very well because my energy my mind had gone from this place of abundance maybe maybe i wasn't even th- quite there to this massive uh scarcity mindset where i couldn't see anything outside of i got screwed it's their fault and there was nothing I could have done different to have this outcome. I'm 100% right, and they are 100% responsible, right? So what do we call that? We call it a victimhood mentality, right? And and I get it. Had we gone to court, had this all happened, I probably would have won. And I probably would have got some money out of it. But let me tell you what happened. I started, my my life, actually, my life literally started degrading. Not just in that in business, but also in other areas. And I noticed like it got to a point where it was so bad, so painful that I was like, I have to do something about this. I do not know what's going on with me, but I feel like I'm on a spiral that is just going down. Right. And a lot of you might relate to this, right? There's, it's common that when you get into this type of mindset, it will literally suck everything out of you. And I was young, you know, I, I had no concept of these, these uh, ideas of mindset and beliefs. And I just know I'd never done anything in that world, never really read books in, in that world. And I got a therapist. I remember sitting down with a therapist. I was getting my life together, getting my my personal life together. And something clicked at some point where I saw it. I, can't, I don't remember what the conversation was. I was probably with a coach or a therapist and they were just like, Matt, you are just being a complete victim. How were you responsible for the thing that happened? And we worked on it probably for weeks. And when it clicked and I finally took responsibility for the thing that happened that day at lunch with my business partners, the day that I finally got responsible for the result, like it was 100% on me. And if I wanted something to happen and to be different than how it happened, the only person that could have influenced that was me, not them, because I'm not them right? I can't influence them. They're going to do what they're going to do. That's reality. But the moment I argue with reality, like they should have done it this way, they needed to do this this way, then everything shifts, right? It, the responsibility shifts off. And then you go into this massive victim cycle. And frankly, victims just suck energy. They there's no productivity, there's no creativity, and there's no abundance in it. And so there was a moment where all this happened. I got really clear, and it was so life changing. And my book talks about this at the end, to the point that I called this friend. He was a best friend, and I like, uh, I don't, I don't know how to say it without getting super emotional about it. But it was moving. It was really moving because I wasn't calling him to bitch, bitch, bitch him out. You know, excuse my French, guys, but I, I don't know how to say that. I didn't call him to bitch him out. I called him to apologize. I called him to get free of this thing that I was holding over him. And he had no clue. He had no idea. And in every court hearing in my mind that I had, I was right. He was wrong. And the moment I got responsible and I was like, Hey, like this sucked. And not only did this suck, this is the impact that it's had on me and our friendship and all these negative things and i'm i'm just really sorry that i did that and you know what i'm i'm dropping it whether you knew it or not i'm letting you know that i dropped it and if you know you'd like to go to lunch sometime or get together i'd like to see if we can rekindle or repatch this friendship and that's kind of how it ended and since that day my business partner will tell you my business went from like this to this My finances went from this to this. My relationships went from this to this. And it was all because of my mindset. Now, it has been almost 12, well, we'll call it a decade. It's been almost a decade since that time. And I think that moment triggered something in me that I was like, I need to figure out what's going on up here because clearly when this thing up here isn't set right my whole life reacts to it and when i saw that i got obsessed and i'm a little adhd a little bit on the spectrum right so i when i get interested in something i dive 110 and i did that and so there i am diving 110 into this uh into this philosophy of like i'm responsible i don't want to be a victim to my life i want to i want to I call it author. I want to author my life like it was a book that I would write. And when I got obsessed about that, one, I was going. I went through two years of therapy. Loved it. I, I was complete when I was done. Then I got into coaching. I went through like two to three years of coaching. Paid for. I've spent over hundreds of thousands of dollars in coaching. I'm still getting coached by the best, and it's because I I just love what it does to my life. I love that getting my brain set in the right direction changes my life in positive ways that i can 10 years ago i would not imagine i would be where i'm at right now like that's how impactful it is and so whether that inspires you or not i'm not sure but i do want to share this with you this is a tool over a decade of me doing this work going through this doing seminars sitting in front of hundreds of people and working with individuals on like what's holding them back, what's keeping them from getting what they want, and coaching. I've been coaching business professionals for over six years now, and I just found some patterns. And I and through those patterns, found some really great tools, and I'm gonna share one of them with you today, and then we're gonna move on, okay? So this is a quadrant that over years of studying, years of working with business professionals, and by the way, thousands of traders, I've learned some really interesting stuff about the human uh, mind and, and how we get what we want. And I've broken it down into two factors that create four quadrants. And so I'm going to explain this really briefly. But if you follow me along on this journey week to week, this is going to make a lot of sense, a lot of sense in the future. And when my book comes out in April, it's going to make, you know, kind of wrap all this up it'll be something you can kind of keep next to your shelf. Uh, but there are. Two main aspects when it comes to the rules or thought training or uh, if you go to any type of coach or a therapist, they fall into two types of categories. One is they will focus on belief theory, meaning they're working on, and this is really trendy right now, right? This is not talk therapy. This is like what's really hot right now. Most new coaches and therapists are talking about beliefs. Meaning they, they go in, you get out your stories, they take the story, they find the belief that's underneath it. And then they look at, at how can we elevate the belief? How can we get your belief to upgrade? We're always going to have beliefs. You're not going to get rid of them. It's just how do you take a belief that's here and you upgrade it to here? And I would never want to change someone's beliefs. And we're not talking necessarily even about like spiritual aspects, but I would say it probably applies everywhere. And so it's like, how do I take my belief and I take it from here to here? Now, how do I get rid of it? That's not the point. And so a lot of therapists, coaches, when they're working with people to upgrade their machinery, let's call it, uh, focus on beliefs. And then there's a newer group, and this is much newer, much more cutting edge. Uh, Guys like Tony Robbins are focused on this. There's a couple other uh, famous, I, I I would call them successful entrepreneurs. They're not even therapists. They're more like coaches. And they're really talking about this like inner position and it uh, lives a lot more in the sports uh, coaching or like anything that has to do with like uh, athletes. You'll find it more on that side. And it's what I call an inner position. So you have beliefs and like all the stuff you can do with that. And then you have the inner position and really beliefs are more in the thoughts inner positions are more in how it takes action. It's like, how does it show up? Like, are you are you moving on it or are you not moving on? What is what is your positionality towards it, right? Like if I were to, to help you with this inner position definition, it's like, if I were to tell you guys, jump off of this 12 foot ledge into a pool of water. One, you're gonna have your beliefs about that. Like, oh, this is dangerous or, oh, that's fun. Those are the beliefs but now the inner position is I'm excited or I'm petrified. You see the difference? So there's the belief side, and then there's this inner position side that will actually move you into the action. Now, there's no way to undo the connectivity between the two of these. And as I've worked with traders, the psychology behind this maps this out perfectly. And what I mean by that is I can find a trader or an investor or someone trying to run a business and identify where their strengths are and guess what? We all have them. We're all an author somewhere. We're all a dreamer somewhere. We're all a wanderer in some area of our life. And we're also a beggar. It just, it just exists. We have our strengths. And what I found is our strengths, when, it's, when it comes to getting something we don't have, when it comes to having a breakthrough, breaking through that support, Right, our strengths are actually our weakness. And that's why the title for now of the book is Blinded by Your Strengths. And I'm gonna go into this for another five minutes and then I'm gonna go into some crazy news that happened uh, this week in terms of the markets. But here's how it works. If you have expansive beliefs and an expansive inner position, meaning if like when it comes to money, if my beliefs are elevated, I think the world is abundant in all these situations. I I'm not trying to get from someone like I was with my partners, right? I'm not trying to hold someone responsible for the money that I deserve. I'm not pointing the finger at the government for how they need to give me more money and that they need to fix these problems. Those are not expansive beliefs. Those are limiting beliefs. But if I have expansive beliefs and an expansive inner position, I'm confident. I'm waking up feeling energized and excited. And like, these are the words of an inner position, exciting, confident, the opposite. Limiting would be like, angry, fearful, right? And it, there's an array, there's thousands of these. And you generally wanna start identifying like 10 on each side. But if my beliefs are expansive, my inner position is expansive, I'm offering whatever I'm in. So if I'm that way with money, money's probably showing up for you really easily. Like you just, and there it shows up. If you're doing it with like a sport or like a hobby, there it shows up if it's in a relation. Maybe you're really great with relationships, you know, your beliefs are expansive, your positions expansive around it, they flourish, right? Authors literally write, they literally, it's like they write it down and it happens. It's like, it's like the never ending story, right? Where like it's like getting written as it happens, right? It's like you write it, it happens. That's what authors do now, dreamers. Are a little different. Dreamers have expansive beliefs, but their inner position is limited. And the reason I call these dreamers is because they don't take a lot of action. The way it manifests is a lack of action. They're very up here. Like I would sit down with them and they would know all the things. It's really brilliant, actually. I I love dreamers because as an author in a lot of things, when I sit with a dreamer, I can bounce back and forth theoretically, right? It's really easy to do that. And so dreamers have it up here. They've read all the books. They know all the theories, all the principles. It's correct in the mind. But when it comes to jumping off that 12-foot ledge, they're petrified. And they don't know how to cultivate that. And they're actually blinded by their strength. They think they're good because they have it figured out. They haven't figured out so well that they have a right to feel fearful. And, and they have a right to... to be uh, skeptical, cynical, you know, whatever the inner position is. Okay. Wanderers, which I actually fall into more often, you'll, you'll have a bias, by the way, you'll either be more dreamer or more wanderer. It's very common. I'm more of a wanderer. Wanderers typically have limiting beliefs. They don't spend enough time in them. Right. Just like my partnership thing, my belief that I was screwed. I was the victim in that, that came up more for me than my inner position because my inner position was one of like, I'm going to make shit happen. Like these guys screwed me. No, I'm going to screw you. You're in trouble, right? That interposition thing is just natural for me. We call them wanderers or I call them wanderers because we wander around a lot. The way we survive as a wanderer is we bounce around a lot and we have mild successes because of it, right? We win here, win there, win there, but it's not like an author because I forget to read the instructions, right? It's like I get the Ikea uh, furniture set but I just jump right into it because I'm so confident that I can do it, that I don't take the time to go through and figure out how to do it right. And the next thing you know, I'm, I am I got to redo the ladder because it's on the wrong side or something. And then bakers just don't have any, any of it. Their beliefs are off and their inner position is off. And so here's what I want to leave you with today is kind of like a setup for where we're going in the future around like these uh, beliefs, these quadrants is one. Can you see a little bit where you're at? Are you more dreamer or are you more wanderer? Because if you are, all you have to do is upgrade one side or the other, right? It's really simple. And then secondly, and this is probably the most difficult part, is can you get help from someone who's not going to reinforce your strength? Here's the biggest problem I've seen in coaching, the biggest problem I've seen in therapy, the biggest hurdle that I've experienced when people are trying to get something they want, and they can't manifest it. They're, they just keep hitting this wall, this support or resistance, right? Like we would compare in the market. The one thing that I've noticed that's the biggest uh, that they struggle with is they go find someone that agrees with their strength because it what they get is validation. And if you go to a coach who all they do is validate you, if you go to a therapist and all they do is validate you, if you go get help and a book even. And all it's doing is validate you. And you're like, yes. And you're starting to feel good because of it. You are missing the mark. And you are you are a testament to all of the people that and all the evidence that I've seen that your strength has you biased so much that you're unwilling to go to a coach, therapist, or get a book that's going to call you out on your shit. And again, I, you guys don't have to excuse my French, but I use language like that to emphasize like really, maybe even wake up, like how important this is. We are missing the psychology piece because we are biased by our own strength. As a dreamer, you are biased by your beliefs. As a wanderer, you are biased by your your charisma, your confidence. It actually gets in the way. And so an author has perfect balance. And then when you author something, it, it just... Close to you. And, and each of you have experienced that on some level in some area of your life. What if you could have that in everything? And particularly for this topic and this, our Market Pulse members, what if you could do it with money in a way that you've never done it before? And the main ingredient isn't learning how to trade, it isn't like learning some secret sauce system. It's up here combined with what I would say here. It's a perfect balance that's going to actually manifest this. Okay, so there we are. There's the quadrants. Again, April 9th, guys, this book's coming out. I'll keep you updated. But we're going to progress through this because I have a lot of context to unpack inside of this because it's like, well, great, Matt. You kind of left us on a cliffhanger other than you've told me not to go see someone that agrees with my strength, which is a great tip, by the way. But we're going to talk about how to move through these quadrants, how to go from wanderer to author, dreamer to author. And if you're a beggar, you actually want to move to wanderer dreamer first. It's like, it's, it's just what I've seen pattern wise that works the best. Okay. Love that. Love that. I'm doing that. That may surprise a lot of you that I do this, uh, but this is the coaching side of what I do. I love coaching people. I love seeing people have breakthroughs and this stuff works. It worked for me. I had to kind of t- take my own path to get it. You don't have to do that. There are people out there like myself and others that have gone and, and And Doug created their own path and you can find shortcuts kind of leaning on the experience of others. So let's go into news. Next up, I've got this. So I had these friends that I was telling you about that were telling me about the bank uh, withdrawals that were happening and how Jamie Diamond even issued a warning to banks like, hey, you guys need to figure out a way to keep deposits from going down. There's a ton of charts that show this. There is a new piece of data that came out this week uh, from the San Francisco feds that I'm gonna, actually, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna show you the images. I feel pretty well educated on this. So I'm just gonna bring these up. There's one. And I'll just show you the data. I don't need to show you the articles. So this is money. This is uh, excess savings. And the data that came out from the San Francisco feds is that excess savings are plummeting. And so let me give you some back history on what's going on, why this would happen. So the pandemic did two things. One, gave a ton of money to the public. M2, as you guys know, went through the roof. There was more cash given to the public and to individual households than ever before. And that money for the most part went into, not for everyone, some people bought ridiculous things, but for the most part, a lot of that money went in to savings accounts. In fact, we went from billions to $2.1 trillion during the pandemic of money that moved into people's savings accounts. That is this blue line. You can see the spike and the 2020 is the date around there that happened. And then the fall of currently today, we've gone from 2.1 in 2020 to today, guess where we're at 190 billion. That's all savings accounts in the US added up. 2.1 trillion, 190 billion. That's a massive move. And this is coupled with data that, and I was calling this everyone's last hurrah, if you're close to some of my friends and associates, you've probably heard me saying this, people were going on crazy spending sprees end of last year, beginning of this year. So Q4, Q4, 2022, Q1, 2023, we had the largest amount of excess spending in the U.S. than we've ever had. Meaning people were buying stuff they just didn't need, going on trips they shouldn't have been going on in conjunction to the past. Now, all that would have worked if we were actually creating more GDP, you know, we're actually getting raises and making more money and could support that long term. But the reality is we can't. And that spending has slowed, but people are still, you know, I think they're hoping for another bailout or something. We got used to it and it's just not coming. And so, here's what's happening here's this isn't a prediction well i guess you have to call it a prediction because something could happen in the next month but what will happen if there's not any intervention not any of these black swan events or you know saving graces from the government or i don't even know what you want to call them it's it's all disastrous but in the next 30 days guys it's going to get depleted 30 days there's no way we're coming off of this curve without some government intervention. So I'd obviously be watching for that. Watch for a you know, a, a Hail Mary, so to speak. But the last two rows are over and savings accounts are about to be completely depleted. And this is compared to the average. A lot of you guys are going to argue with me because there's that data that came out that uh, deposits were going to an all-time low. And while that's true, a lot of the money that was getting pulled out of uh, bank deposits, we're going into money market accounts and CDs. Why? Because we haven't had interest rates this high for a long time. And people are like, why would I keep my money in a savings account when I can have it in a money market account for the next six months or whatever, and I'm making five, 6%, right? So I get it. However, here's the data that shows that that doesn't matter. We are beyond the average. And let me show you this chart. This shows that that is a story to consider. However, that is not the full story. And this is a chart that shows, let me bring this in. This is a chart that shows obviously the 2.1 trillion, the downgrade. And then what's important to note is the average, right? Most people put so much into savings as a safety net. Now, if you've got your money in a CD, it's locked up, right? For a certain period of time, you can't get access to it. People keep And I do this too. You have a little bit of money in the savings account because like that's your rainy day for like, you know, short term, whatever. If I really need to liquidate, I can go into my bigger accounts. Here's the average. And you can see pre-pandemic trend is here. And right at the end of or mid-2021, we crossed a threshold where we were pulling more from excess savings than we were from uh, then contributing based on the trend line. Now, we're still above zero. However, the 2.1 trillion that's gone to 190 shows that, yes, there's probably still money sitting in money market accounts, CDs from these people, but the fact that the the general savings trend is going to an all-time low shows that people's pandemic money, the money that they put under the mattress because they couldn't go on trips, they couldn't go out of the country, that money is largely gone. And people are still spending like it's still 2020, meaning they're racking up credit card debt, the amount of credit accumulation. And the data shows this also. So we've we've gone over in the past weeks, uh, credit card debt, national national debt per household is at a all-time record high. So this is not you can't argue with me and say, "Oh no, the money's still there. It's all in money market accounts." It's not. If that were true, why is the debt-to-income ratio per household at an all-time high? It's higher than it was during 2008, guys. It's at 40.1% last time I checked. It didn't even hit that before 2008. So we have a big problem coming. I would call it a a crisis. And I'm not I'm not crying wolf. I'm not I'm not doing the chicken little dance, okay? There is a problem here and it's mounting and it's getting worse and there's going to be repercussions. I think this is the finger that pushes. And here's here's the domino. Here's what you can plan on seeing happen next. When Americans don't have excess money to spend, whether it's debt or savings, doesn't matter where the money's coming from, they don't spend. And when consumers don't spend, guess what happens to companies? They tighten up. Supply that they planned on gets excess, so prices come down, which is good. Deflation will happen. The feds are definitely doing their job. right? Prices are going to have to come down. However, companies will suffer. When companies suffer, what happens to employment? They lay off employees, and it will likely be Q1 of 2024 that we're going to see. That's my prediction that you're going to see the largest increase or the beginning of the largest increase in unemployment starting beginning of next year. It it will likely be Christmas will either be the last hoorah where people double down on their debt to make sure that they have the same Christmas, the same amount of gifts, right? We all kind of have a mental price tag in our head now based on the last two years of how much we should spend for Christmas. And this might be the last year. I'm calling it this year the, the last hoorah. This is where everything settles. And then we get to deal with the crap and the mess we made next year. And so I think we this is the finger that's gonna push that unemployment domino that you guys know I've been saying that domino is the one where the house of cards falls. Everything else already looks bad. All the other data is already, it, it's, it's awful. I mean, you guys have seen all the other data I've been presenting. This last domino, unemployment is the last domino, and this data is consumers that will likely trigger the unemployment domino to start falling. Because when consumers stop spending, companies have to start cutting back. So I don't like that data, but you can be on the winning side of this, guys. There are trades out there that this will trigger. There are ways to make money when this happens and I'm watching it and it's clearly not going to be investing in traditional stocks, you're going to have to know how to short the market or play options or find things, asset classes that do hedge stocks, right? Like commodities and things like that. So now, you know, there's the news. I'm not trying to make this a bigger deal than it actually is. It's just what it is. And it doesn't get better. I I, not, I have not got a, a piece of good data recently. In fact, we just had inflation come up again. Like you think the feds are even thinking about lowering rates with inflation ticking up? No, there's no way that we just don't have any good data right now and it just keeps getting worse. So uh, next, next year is gonna be tight. Don't be one of those people. I know it's a little late. I've been touting this to the public as much as I can. Don't be one of those people that don't have excess savings. Don't be one of those people that says, we should do our last two raw this year. No, cut back, put some money aside. Don't be silly. It's going to be a tough year next year. Uh, don't accumulate a bunch of debt thinking you're gonna be able to pay it off because next year will be better. That's not happening. All right. So let's let's wrap this up. I've got some time. Oh no, I'm out of time. Let's just go back to the trade really quick. I want to make sure you guys are clear on this and then. Uh, next week we'll kind of review because this breakout very likely is going to happen next week, and I want to make sure that you guys are prepared for it. And if you're trading anything else, at least you know how to kind of do these setups on a green chart. So here it is again. Here's the breakout. You guys can see my re- support and resistance levels on the side. So if you want to write those down, you're, you're more than like uh, welcome to the light colored ones that I put outside of support and resistance, or what I call light support and resistance. So this 2000 price is actually a light uh, resistance point, which is usually those round numbers, price bounces off of hard, but it just hasn't in the past. So I'm calling it a light uh, resistance level. There's is light support at uh, 1848 below the current price. But really the ones you're the most interested in are the ones right above your price. And right below it. And you want to know how significant those support and resistance levels are, right? Um, outside of that, I think we're pretty much set up for this trade. I think if I were to nail the date, let me just guess one. I think it could go one day easily up or down. Two days, it's going to be really difficult unless it goes down first for it to go up or down the next day. And then the probability, so we're talking one, two, three, four, five. It, it's going to happen probably next week. I don't see, based on the candle sizes, how we don't have a breakout in the next five days. If this keeps wedging, it somehow stays in this wedge over the next. And there'll be little wicks, by the way, that break out. That does commonly happen. But if this stays within this in the next five days, the move's going to be pretty big. And what i mean by that is these support resistance levels may not matter as much and then what oh don't do that and then what you're dealing with is more what's going on here where you have massive candles massive breakouts because when these wedges come to an end what it creates is a ton of volume in one direction people get so uh nervous about their position when they hear about a breakout it's where you get these massive runs. People just pull out the, all those limit orders. And a lot of times these support resistance levels will just get blown through. So that's why you got to have stop losses. got to pr- protect your trades. Uh, but you also have massive potential upside. And the more that this pressure builds up, the bigger the candle likelihood is. Obviously coupled with news can make it even worse. Uh, but that's that's our setup for next week. All right. Thank you guys. Love having you here. I'm calling you, uh, my Market Pulse members. Uh, I'm open to any suggestions around that. By the way, if you guys have some cool names, but uh, let me know. Let me know. I, I'm trying to think how to address the group. For now, I'm going to call you the MP members. Have a great weekend, you guys. Stay safe. Keep your savings safe. And uh, we'll we'll see how things are next uh, Friday, same time, same place. Thank you.